0: Hey everybody and welcome into another episode of the Iowa Tigers podcast here at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I'm Ben Fredrickson joined from the Columbia Bureau by Dave Matter here to break down some Mizzou football, college football in general. We're going to talk today about Eli Drinkwitz's quarterback situation. He's holding the cards close to his chest there. A couple wide receiver names new to Mizzou's campus that you're going to need to know this fall. We're going to look at how the how the Tigers are battling uh the coronavirus and how their testing is going. So far, so good there, and we'll have some updates on, on that front, and we'll also look at this Mizzou football schedule, which is uh, quite a gauntlet. Dave Matter is going to weigh in on, on all these topics. We're going to kick it around, but first, I want to let you hear a word from our sponsors who make this podcast possible. All right, Dave, let's start with the with the schedule. Um, this is a uh, not exactly a, a fruit basket served from the SEC offices to Eli Drinkwitz, a first-year coach, and the the theme kind of seems to be that you can make the narrative, if you like, that the first-year coach has got uh, the short end of the stick here in these schedules, but uh, um, it's tough. You have to to add Alabama and LSU, and you have to meet Alabama first, host them at home, although home road might not matter, considering the the limited crowd capacities we're probably going to see this fall. Um, What do you make of the schedule, schedule reveal? And uh, we heard some SEC coaches weren't too happy with this schedule that they got. Was Eli Drinkwitz one of them?
1: Uh, He might've been, Um, you know, I I know I was told he wasn't very thrilled with, with how it came out, but listen, if you're a first year coach in this league, it's probably for a reason. It's because the last guy got fired because they weren't very good. So if you don't have one of the better teams in the league, you're going to play one of the tougher schedules just by default. And that's right. the case for Missouri, definitely the case for Arkansas, and, and the two Mississippi schools. And those those are your four first-year coaches. Uh, Missouri's schedule, it, the start of it really is brutal. I mean, when you, when you open at home against Alabama, um, go to Tennessee. And, and Missouri had Tennessee's number for a while, looks like the vols are are back to um you know not being elite by any means but they are definitely better than they have been they're right outside the top 25 in the coaches poll gosh i guess if you erase now all the big 10 and pac 12 teams they are going to be a nationally ranked team and then you go to lsu oh by the way the defending national champions and that's your first three weeks of the season um that's that's really tough i mean if you can start off one and two you got to feel pretty good about this season i mean the the Vegas over-unders have come out for all the leagues that are playing and universally Missouri is right at a three. So um, that's a three and seven season kind of what Vegas looks at is trying to get people to bet, you know, over or under. And when you look at the schedule, gosh, it's without knowing a whole lot about this team yet, it's kind of hard to argue with that.
0: It goes on from there. They get Vanderbilt, Florida, Kentucky, Georgia, South Carolina, Arkansas, Mississippi State. I guess you could – argue that uh it does uh does set itself up for to be a little softer on the back end yeah Um, but that's not exactly uh, not exactly soft ending soft landing either but you know look we knew this was going to be a unique year in terms of these conference-only schedules and if you're playing a conference-only schedule in the sec it's going to be harder than what you had whether you're alabama or or missouri um what is a fair like expectation for for this season now Eli Drinkwitz is a new coach. He has not had the amount of time around his team that he would have liked to have because of the COVID situation. We're still uncertain as to what this season could potentially look like with all of the, the coronavirus unknowns, but what is a, what is a fair benchmark for what, what a good season should look like? Do you measure it in wins? Do you measure it in what, how the team improves week by week? Um, he's got so much excitement built around this 2021 recruiting class I think yeah. people are excited to see what he can do with his own players when he gets a full class of those guys in that he's had time to invest in and recruit. Um, what what should be a, a, a an accurate bar for Missouri fans for this fall?
1: You know, I don't I don't know if wins is really the fair measure. We don't even know how the bowl system bowl eligibility is going to work this year. Um, you know, six is six wins is going to be too probably high of a threshold. As long as there are as, about as many bowls as there usually are, because you're not going to fill them if you if everybody has to win six games in ten game schedules. Um, so I think that's that's not really relevant right now. I, I think you said the word improve. I do think that's important. If this team is feeling good about itself and playing its best in late November, they got that one December game. If they can end the season at Mississippi State or whatever comes after that, and you say, gosh, this team got a lot better, and they feel good going into the off season, um, that's, that's a positive. Now, whether that's with a three and seven record or four and six or whatever, I don't think it really matters. If they get trounced by not only the the elite teams in this league, but the Kentuckys, uh, the South Carolinas, um, who else? Maybe Mississippi State. It's going to be hard to come out of this feeling like you really achieved much of anything. And I think you can still write it off and say, hey, free pass, first-year coach dealt with something that no one else has ever really dealt with before um, with this offseason, you know, having their – basically the whole summer was on zoom. They didn't really get to practice. They still haven't as of recording this today, they still haven't gone full pads and it's, you know, it's late August. So I don't think this, there should be much scrutiny unless they just look like a team that can't even function out there. And I don't think that's going to be the case. I think they have enough talent back on defense, enough continuity on defense. And then I, I think he knows what he's doing offensively. He may not have all the pieces yet, but I think they're going to be a, a functional competent offense, good enough to win four, five games. I don't know about that, but I do think if they do win four games, let's just say four and six, who cares who they beat in a normal season, you've got at least three, maybe four non-conference games that you can chuck up as wins, right? That's a seven win season for a debut coach in the sec and coming off a six and six season. I mean, they may not throw him a parade, but he might win, you know, a couple of votes for coach of the year. So the bar is not really high here by any means.
0: Yeah, I think you have to you have to factor in the strength of the schedule when determining – I'm with you. It's it's not a knock on Eli Drinkwitz to have realistic expectations for this season and really decide, okay, this is not going to be a win total kind of year. This is going to be the kind of year where you look at how the team improves week to week, what kind of players emerge, and, and how we kind of get a sense of his coaching style and, and how he's able to build a team as the season progresses. Now, he might not like that characterization, and he's – and his goal will be to prove it wrong, certainly, and it should be. Um, but we're at this point now where we're trying to evaluate a team, and we don't know who some critical players are going to be. Um, talk about like, we, when we talk. We said we talk about the quarterback situation. I think most people assume that Sean Robinson, the TCU transfer who sat out last year, tried to get eligible last year, wasn't able to, but now he's finally eligible. Will be that guy at quarterback. Um, we know Eli Drinkwitz is going to want to do some versatile things with his offense. Sean Robinson seems like the kind of guy who can run, he can pass. Um, and I would guess if he had to play a season today, if, if he was making his depth chart that Sean Robinson would be first, but he's not saying that. And he's got, he's really got four quarterbacks. He could, he can pick and choose from some less realistic than others, but, what do you make of, of what his comments on his quarterback situation has been in part of – is it he really doesn't know yet, or is it he's really leaning into the the secrecy factor here as as a potential advantage?
1: I think for now he doesn't really know yet. I think he wants to give these guys a fair shake and, and see what they can do. And the fact that they haven't been full pads yet, you know, not that they're going to be hitting their quarterbacks in practice, but I think he'll want to see how they handle, you know, live situations, scrimmage-type situations before you really make – a decision on there, but I do believe him that he's not going to, he's not going to announce it. Uh, now it might leak somewhere. It could come out on Twitter or social media or something like that. But like he said the other day, I think his exact quote was, we ain't telling nobody. And it, and really there's no reason to, what is the point? And now, you know, he, he, he went on to say he wants to overlook give somebody some work overload with uh, preparing. And that's obviously Alabama uh, to get, look at all the film of all the coaches on the staff to see what the system is going to look like. Um, look at all the film, past film of these quarterbacks to prepare for each one. Um, if that's the one advantage you can have playing Alabama, then you might as well use that card as much as you can. Is it going to make a difference in the game? I, I don't know. But if, if that's all you got, <laughs> you might as well use it. And really, there's no incentive for him to really to name a starter at this point. So I see why he's taking that approach. I, I'm with you. I do think just based on the past, Robinson probably has the most upside. I think athletically, he fits what drink, what's likes to do. Uh, and have a – he doesn't always have a mobile quarterback back there. He had Ryan Finley at Boise State and then NC State, and he is a classic dropback um, Blaine Gabbert type guy. He's not going to run around and make plays with his legs. But he's also had more mobile uh, dual threat guys like this quarterback last year at App State uh, could do that, and that's what Robinson gives you. You know, Bazelak did play in a wishbone offense in high school, but he's also coming off a torn ACL. He is more of a, of a pocket guy. Um but it's going to come down to who who looks the best in these scrimmages when they have them and just add up all the the, uh, practices and who gives you the best shot. And, and then we'll find out when they take the first snap at Alabama, I think officially, and I wouldn't be shocked if they use multiple guys back there, maybe not in every game, but maybe that first game. He's even hinted that he'd like to, you know, toss the ball around to some other guys that have experience playing quarterback. Jalen Knox wide receiver was a quarterback in high school, Kiki Chisholm. We'll talk about him. He was a high school quarterback before moving to receiver uh, in college. So um, I think he'll use every advantage he possibly can have.
0: You mentioned Kiki. I wanted to ask you about him. Missouri has two graduate transfer receivers who could very well end up being their top two receivers yeah. this season, guys who've never caught a pass in a Missouri uniform before these, these camps began. Um, interesting backgrounds. One is a, a Power Five transfer who was, you know, a pretty good player at Virginia Tech, caught eight touchdown passes in each of the past two years. The other is a guy from a school that only, I think, our our, our college sports editor Cameron Holloway knows knew existed <laughs> because he went there in, in Angelo State. Um, what do you make of, of these guys? And you've had a chance to, to talk to them a little bit. You haven't had much chance to watch them yet because practices right. have been closed. But introduce folks to these these two receivers that have been added.
1: Hazleton, he, he got on board first. He He'd gotten that transfer portal and probably the most sought-after receiver um, at, at the time, at least. One of the most sought-after established grad transfers in the entire market this offseason. You're talking about a guy who has 20 touchdown catches in college. He started at Ball State his freshman year. He's from Baltimore. He's a fifth-year guy because he had to sit out a year. Um, 6'3", 215. I mean, he's a, he looks like a prototype outside receiver in in the – power five which he was at Virginia Tech and he was just looking to go somewhere else to kind of start fresh and um, I know Bush Hamden the wide receivers coach was just really thrilled with how he not not necessarily what he was in the spring but when they went away for quarantine then what he was when he came back he went down to Houston and trained and the photos kind of they surfaced on on social media back in late May early June he was down there training with James Harden of the Houston Rockets. I think Odell Beckham was down there. There's a there's one trainer in Houston. His name I think is Justin Allen, who trains a lot of NFL receivers and and DBs. And Hazleton has just happened to work out with him a couple years ago. Well, he joined them again for some workouts. And James Harden happened to be there that day. So, um, you know, he I, that just shows you, um, you know, that he's working with some pretty good companies. So, he, uh, he he's had a few little nagging things Drinkwood's talked about that has kept him from going doing some of the live drills and practice, but they're still counting on him being a, a big-time player for them. And then Chisholm, is, he's a really interesting story. Honors student in high school uh, from Dangerfield, Texas. Point guard for a good basketball team, probably could have gone on and played college basketball somewhere. Was a quarterback in high school, but did, wasn't getting offers to play quarterback. So he settled for a D2 scholarship to play receiver, uh, was an all-conference guy there, and it got to the point where he realized that maybe I can play at the at the next level, power five level, goes into the transfer portal, and immediately got bombarded with offers, and uh, Missouri kind of had a connection there with one of their assistant coaches, knows some people in the area. He, he apparently has a, a relative in Missouri, and they just clicked when they talked. You look at this guy, 6'4", 215, I think they said he's put on 10 pounds of muscle since he's been on campus. You know, he's now that he's got a Power 5 training table and a right. nutritionist, that'll do it for you. The smoothies are better in uh, Power <laughs> 5 than D 2 I guess.
0: They uh, extra super protein in there.
1: And just seeing the photos, seeing some of the clips, I mean, he looks like a legit SEC starter, a big, huge guy. And when you talk to the, the players, even defensive players, you ask them who's caught your eye. He's the first name out of everybody's mouth. So you don't want to – Blow him up too much, give too much hype, but there's a lot of excitement about this guy. And then talking to him, he's older, um, and you get that when you talk to him. This is a guy that knows what he wants to do here, seems very grounded. He, he earned a finance degree mm-hmm. at Angelo State, and again, that, uh, I'm it's not going like, to talk- years. Yeah, two and a half Good years. Fast. And uh, took, we know it took, it's a great it school. My
0: friend's like six. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if Cameron's watching this, we know it's a great school, obviously. <laughs> um, but he was working on his master's at Tangelo State, and will keep working on that at zoo. So really impressive guy. And if he's if he's half the player, they talk about him being as a person, um, you know, they, they could have found a real gem here.
0: I was, um, you know – it reminds me a little bit of, of 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 you know the rare guy who transfers up and makes an impact immediately. So many times yeah. we see guys transferring down, becoming yeah. bigger stars. Oftentimes, guys who transfer up kind of get lost in the shuffle. But right. occasionally, there's a guy who transfers up and makes a mark immediately. I mean, Missouri's seen it on the basketball court. And you go go back and look at Cassius Robertson. Yeah. If Kiki can can pull a Cassius card, that would be huge. For, for Eli Drinkwitz in, in season one. I mean, they need some some experience and some some star power in that receiving group because they really – they don't bring back all that much. Um, right. They've had some defections there. They could use some, some reliability and some leadership in that room.
1: Yeah, and they do have – I think Drinkwitz has gone about this pretty smart. They've invested in the future at the position because they have four freshman receivers, including Jay Macklin from Kirkwood right there in St. Louis. Um, some promising guys there and then the, the targets they've got for 2021 uh, that's all important but then they also kind of took the the, the quick fix solution with the two grad transfers and if, if those young guys can learn something by watching them um, you kind of set yourself up to be more successful in, in 2021 when you've got you know then Jalen Knox will be a senior and Barrett Bannister is going to play this year uh, will have a, a, a decent role I think um, you know you, you kind of keep keep building that along it's not a complete rebuild every year so I I think they've gone about it the right way
0: you said something interesting when we were preparing for this that I wanted you to bring onto the podcast and it's something that I don't know that a lot of people who haven't studied Eli Drinkwitz's offenses at at App State would offense because there's only one of them but also his previous stops might I know you think Tyler Beatty could be in a good spot with this coach for his versatility his ability we saw it we've seen he can catch the ball out of the backfield he's a, he, he can do a lot of different things From that running back And you think that plays well Into what Drinkwitz is, is wanting to do here
1: Yeah his, his offense is You know they've been Pretty multi-dimensional And you go back and watch I watched a good deal Of highlights When he was at NC State He had a guy there That they called him a tight end They called him an H-back They called him a running back He did everything He plays for the Bears now Name escapes me of course right now um, I think he's a backup running back With the Bears And he he did everything from throwing passes to catching passes to running to blocking and it made that offense really exciting i mean you watch the highlights they were doing everything reverses option plays you know all kinds of screens and bubble screens and then downfield throws double passes and that's kind of a hallmark of what his offense is when he's got the right pieces and I think Beatty's a guy that kind of fits into that role. I mean, he he led Missouri in receptions last year. People right. forget that At first receiver to do that or first running back to do that Missouri in a really long time. That that said more about their receivers than I think than it did anything. Fair, else. fair. But he can do that, and he can do a lot of different things. He's not just a, a guy like Roundtree, who's a really good north-south runner, and you need that too. Um, but Beatty can do those other things. So I think you include him. I think Jalen Knox. You include him in that in that discussion. Missouri, the last two years, just used him as an outside receiver. And he kind of got lost in the in the process. He'd start, but he didn't do a whole lot. And he's a guy that's a high school quarterback who's dynamic, used to having the ball in his hand. So I think you're going to see him more in the slot. Drinkwitz has even said, might line him up as a wildcat quarterback at times. Just get him more involved in space. And that's, I think, that's some more um, ingenuity. I think you'll see that with this offense. Um, Nothing against our old pal Derek Dooley, but just didn't get all that creative the last two years. And when they needed a play, they just couldn't figure out anything out. Well, I think you're going to have a pretty deep, uh, creative playbook here. Lots of – I've heard one coach the other day described it as a a lot of smoke and mirrors. They're going to have a lot of motions, a lot of, um, you know, pre-snap adjustments, shifts – to keep the defense guessing and you're going to have people just running all over the place. So I think it could be a pretty exciting offense.
0: Kentucky has shown how a wildcat quarterback can wow. help a struggling offense and Lynn Bowden, Bowden, Jr. I mean, that was incredible to watch uh, in recent sec and a lot of defenses didn't know what to make of that. So there's an interesting, uh, an interesting argument for that approach If you pull something out of a hat. And sometimes it, it works we kind of feel at times like this college football season is trying to pull a rabbit out of the hat a little bit, but we should, and we, and we didn't just want to sit around and talk virus stuff again, because there's actually some football stuff to talk. And I know people are, are wanting to talk football and I get it. And we are too, but we also have to kind of keep an eye on on coronavirus as it relates to college sports, we're recording this after North Carolina has, has stopped classes from happening on campus, but are continuing to push forward with athletics the big 10 has, has canceled um, fall sports, pushed them to spring it hopes and, and said that it's not going to look at reversing that decision, which was a rumor that came out late this week. We're seeing different parts of the country in different spots as it relates to the virus, but so far so good when it comes to how Mizzou is doing with the information that we've been given so far when it comes to their, their um, approach against the virus. Correct.
1: Yeah. For the football team, for sure. I mean, they've, you know, they're not giving out specific raw numbers but at last check drinkwood said they were at less than 3% positivity rate so of the of the tests they've done um less than 3% of those tests have come up positive and you're talking about 120 football players so you know you could do the math that's that's one or two cases maybe three depending on you know what your time frame is he said that they uh, They were tested last weekend, and then they were supposed – we are recording this on Thursday. He said they were going to be tested again on Thursday. And then once they get into the season, there's the SEC uh, requirements of twice a week, and they're encouraging teams to do a third test a week through like a third-party outside vendor, if you will. Um, So I think so far so good on on that front. You know, students are are trickling back into Columbia. Classes start on Monday. We'll see what happens from there. Um, You know, these players – not to say the the non-athletes don't have anything at stake, but the stakes are a little bit different compared to you know college football players and regular students. So you know you hope for their sake that that everybody's making wise decisions. We've seen the images around the country, even around the SEC, that you know people aren't wearing masks in some of these college towns in large gatherings, and um, you know is is the football. Season uh, going to be a casualty if, if enough behavior is like that around the country. The question is, like, how many teams does it take? Uh, how many outbreaks per team? How many teams with outbreaks does it take to, to shut things down? I, I, we don't know the answer to that. I don't know if anybody has that answer. Um, everybody's just kind of hoping that, that everybody has success with this. But if there's a St. Louis Cardinals situation in, in a conference, can you go on without one team? I, I don't know. It's it's this is uh, uncharted territory for sure.
0: Well, we'll uh, continue to keep it covered at, at the at STL today and, and in the pages of the Post Dispatch, and and it's going to be uh, it's it's if it's anything like baseball, it's going to be made up kind of as it goes along. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I think we we'll, sure. I think we we've really seen a a a split here, and you've got the the Big Ten and the Pac twelve, and then as long as the SEC, the ACC, and the SEC stay circled, then it's three against two. And I think they are gonna be they're gonna be the group that that pushes forward. Now if they start if they lose one and it's all of a sudden it's two versus three, then that's probably going to be a different conversation. Is this conversation just a warning for those who are following it? It's gonna become more political. it's, oh, yeah. gonna, it's going to become um, more confusing. Um, it's gonna raise questions as to how can you have kids on campus not but how can you have kids on campus um, doing all kinds of other stuff, but not playing sports. Why is sports the thing that gets chopped? And on the other side of that, it's going to have conversations about how can no one be going to class, and that's that's not safe. Yet you can have gatherings for practices. That's questions going to be raised as well, and it's going to teeter totter back in between those two things. So um, buckle in, strap up, get your chin strap tightened, and we'll keep doing a little bit of both: talking football, looking ahead, and trying to get a gra- grasp on this team, but also taking a a a sensible view of the landscape for Dave you've done a great job of it keep it up keep keep the juggling act up and uh and we'll check in here next week for for folks who are listening to the podcast for the first time and maybe found us through the the video that we did we wanted to remind you you can find the podcast at stltoday.com slash podcast or even easier go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcast and just search I'm the Tigers podcast Um, we do we try to do one about every week kind of depending on on how the news goes and uh, and we're always uh, eager to to hear from folks who are finding the podcast enjoyable. So let us know, give us a ranking, leave us a review, and we will uh, we'll talk to you here soon. For Dave, I'm Ben, and have a good week, everybody.